Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your guide to the whitetail woods. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light, go further, stay longer. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. And this week on the show, I'm joined by Ross Hausman to dive into his three-year story chasing a deer known as Pig Potatoes. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light. And we have got a special, special episode for you today because we are wrapping up our Big Buck Breakdown Month where we've talked to hunters from across the country about, you know, hunts after one specific deer. Like really special hunts for really special deer where the hunter kind of went mad, obsessing over an animal, trying to figure them out, going through all the ups and downs. And we've had some really good stories so far, but tonight's story is one that I am a particular, uh, I'm particularly invested in this story because it's one one of my good buddies who I've, you know, been following along with this story for years now through all these ups and downs on almost a daily basis. Uh, our guest today is the one and only Ross Houseman, longtime friend and and someone who's been within the Wired Hunt community for a long time. Folks, folks should know you, Ross, so welcome back to the show, my friend, and, and thanks for being willing to spill the beans on this story. Thanks for begging me to be on here, Mark. <laughs> and you must, you must have ran out of guests, I guess. That's I'm getting desperate. And uh, <laughs> the one condition you had to come on the show is that you needed your security blanket to help you out. We've got, <laughs> we've got Josh Furter-Hilliard here, buddy. Thanks for coming on as co-host. Dude, that's really funny because my wife said the same thing. She goes, what are you, like Ross's security blanket? <laughs> I, I need somebody to hold my hand here. <laughs> my. No, happy to be here. Thanks for having me too. Appreciate <laughs> it. So, 
So the the idea here, you know, you guys don't listen to my podcast at all, so you don't know what I've been doing this month. But what what I've been doing is is trying to get into the nitty gritty of these stories. You know, talk to folks who have been on these, you know, multiple year sagas after an animal, learning them, studying them, trying to figure them out. You know, going into that year, really giving it all, and and I kind of want to you know, dig into the mind of that hunter, figure out how they did what they did, what their strategy was, how they were thinking and feeling throughout all of it. So, so Ross, basically imagine like you are sitting on a couch at the therapist office and I'm about to ask you like all the awkward questions that you want to keep inside of your mind. I'm going to ask you to verbalize these things. So that's, that's what's in store today. Are you, are you in your security blanket game for that? <laughs> we're, we're ready. Okay. Um, so Josh, before we get Ross talking here, um, is there anything that the audience should know about Ross and his personality or anything about him in general that we need to know as context for the story we're about to hear? Cause you and I know Ross, um, if anyone's, mm-hmm. if anyone's, well, I'm not going to do that. If anyone's seen some of our video episodes way no. back in the day, <laughs> you'll know Ross. <laughs> but, um, but Josh, what what does everyone need to know about Ross as we get into this? Uh, gosh, Ross is. Um, I was thinking about this earlier. He he is very much like super analytical. Um, very can very much overthink or like. Uh, I shouldn't say overthink, just think deeply about what he wants to do um, when it comes to deer hunting. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why you two are such good friends. I think you guys are, are very similar in that aspect. You guys just go about it, uh, keeping keeping track and making decisions a little bit differently. Uh, you guys each have your own way of doing things. But to get there, it's you guys both very analytical. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I thought, I thought Mark, I thought you were setting this up to be a roast there, but Josh was like actually pretty nice there. So thank you, Josh. <laughs> Security blanket. You're doing a great job. Yeah, he was way too easy on you there. <laughs> um, if only we had Andy on the show with us, things would be a little oh, different. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason we didn't ask him to be on. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I would say I'd add a couple things about you, Ross, that you're going to have to just grin and bear as we, as we lead this out. Uh, so yes, Ross is a very analytical hunter. Uh, as Josh said, we've all been buddies for a long time now. We've been able to follow Ross's hunts over the years. And, and there's a few things I know about Ross. Um, number one, Josh just said it. He's going to be thoughtful and careful and strategic with his hunts. He doesn't hunt often. He does a lot of work in the off season, but it seems like when the actual hunting season is here, he's very, you know, tactical you know, very, um, very tactical with his strikes. There's some years where it's like he doesn't hunt at all. And then bam, he hunts once or twice. And then his season's done. He killed his buck. Um, and he's consistent in that. Like every year, it seems like he always gets his buck of, of everyone in our hunting group. Ross is one guy who like, I just count on. He's gonna, it's gonna happen. Ross will get a deer or two. No question. Like, you know, Peter, I don't know, but, but Ross, he's going to get it done. Um, this was one year where we were sweating a little bit. The story at least led to us sweat on that assumption. Um, so Ross is is consistent. He's tactical. He is very analytical. Uh, but one thing I have noticed about Ross is he can sometimes um, his and we all do this. I do this sometimes too. But his stress level 
really skyrockets real quick. Like he, he frequently is like, oh yeah, he's getting the season going and he's holding off for a buck and everything's all great. And then as soon as we inch closer to November in past years, Ross all of a sudden is is panicking that he hasn't got his deer yet because it's almost November. And then before you know it, he's freaking out. So Ross has a tendency to get really overexcited about things too on occasion. Is is all of that reasonably fair with a little exaggeration, Ross? It, it's very exaggerated. Yes, yeah, very much so. No, I I used to get I used to get more stressed out like that. Now I've out of the last few years, I think I've been way more chill. I don't I don't get worked up like I used to. You know, like it, I think this last couple few years, um, I just I don't know. You know, it's just a deer at the end of the day, but. I do get a little stressed out, but I don't let things bother me anymore. I just try to have fun and enjoy it for what it is and um, enjoy the time out there. But I do I do still get a little stressed out. Now, you, on the other hand, you have not come, come around to being more chill. You are the one that is always stressed out and always freaking out. So Hey, fun season. Um, fun season was better. Yeah. Fun season exactly. was better. So, all right. So let's let's get into this story that I think – paints a picture of probably how you've evolved and I think presented you some interesting challenges to kind of work through the stuff we're talking about right here. Um, so this buck that I want to talk about today, you named him big potatoes, right? <laughs> BP. I don't, I don't who, before we did this, I was trying to think of when we came up with that name or what, how that even happened. Did I name him that? Or did we all name him that? I can't remember. I, but, I, yeah. I one of it, he's got like three names, Big Potatoes, um, G2 was another name. My son named him Lighty, um, so he's got like three different names. But Big Potatoes was was a very popular one. Yes. So so with that name in mind, can you describe for us what this buck looked like? Can you paint a picture for us of this deer, so, how he got his name or, or how he stood out to you when you – you know, tell us what he looked like now. So we're picturing like the end result, but then give me any other context as far as when you first discovered him too. So this, this year he's just a, just a really giant framed buck. He's a mainframe 10 pointer. He had a little kicker off his right G2. Um, so he's got those like decently sized G2s. I don't remember. And maybe they're like nine or 10 inches, but then, uh, they're a little shorter than the G3, so he's got that short G2, longer G3, and then good G4 kind of look to him, and over 20 inches wide. Um, just a giant frame buck when you see him. Um, the first year, the first year I got eyes on him or got pictures was 2020. I'm sure he was around before that, but you know how they are when they're like two years old or so. It's hard to it's hard to kind of know what deer's what after that um unless there's some defining characteristics but he that first year i got a picture and uh, it was just one of those deer that you're just like oh that's gonna be a really nice buck um you know years past i would have i would have loved to shoot him at that time he was that first year he was probably a mid 140s 10 um and any other year you know i would have you know in the past i would have loved to shoot him um, but it was just one of those bucks when you look at him and he's got these really long G threes and he's super young. I think when he was, I'm guessing he was three that year, he had 10 inch G threes already. And I think like 10 inch twos or something like that. Um, 
so it's just like wow this buck is going to be this buck is going to be special uh and at that point i don't know what his name was at that point i don't even know if he had really a name my my neighbor buddy we'll call him golden boy he uh <laughs> he named him g2 and uh and that kind of stuck with throughout too um but then i think with you guys you know we named him big potatoes because sometimes you guys thought he had a huge body which um sometimes when you have big potatoes it makes the meat look small kind of thing so um <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know if that's how it came about i don't remember but <laughs> so then uh from there on out it was that year i was you know i was like oh no that that wasn't that buck wasn't on the radar that was 2020 and he was just off you know he's just going to be one of those awesome mountain comers and then um and then yeah then the next year came and he, he kind of blew up so so before you before you go to last year i have a question for you when it comes to like these really awesome three-year-olds this is something that i've been asking some of the other guys about and something you know that i was thinking a lot about this year too um, when you get one of these three-year-olds that shows up like a younger buck that just seems to have a ton of potential and you know, you're at a point in your hunting journey or whatever you want to call it, where that's not a deer you're going to target right now. Do you, do you do anything different when you see a buck like this around? Do you, you know, stay out? If, if you think you know where his core area is, do you stay out of it more often because you're hoping he'll stick around and, and survive or do you start paying extra attention to him in any kind of way or, or doing anything different with his trail camera photos or anything, you know, knowing that he's a deer that you hope to target someday in the future. Um, just taking note, a lot of, a lot of notes with like the trail, trail cam picks, um, and just being observant. Uh, and then, you know, that first, that first year I had some great encounters with him. I got to see him get into it, like a gigantic buck fight at like 40 yards, which was just unbelievably awesome. Um, I still like, I still remember when I was sitting there in that tree, you know, and I thought he was, he's just such a special buck and I see him fighting in front of me. And I always like, it's like, it's like your kids and at, he's like playing football and he's just getting his ass beat and you're just watching him as a parent <laughs> on the sidelines and you're just like, Oh my gosh, honey, you know, I hope you're okay. You know? <laughs> and, uh, this smaller rack eight pointer was just, just pummeling him. And I, I still remember, remember that. And that was just awesome. Um, but just like those encounters where they were at, um, what he was doing, um, had another encounter with them at a different stand site, kind of cruising through a uh, bunch of visuals, you know, and you just kind of putting that in the, in the, in the mind for, for future reference. Um, I don't stay out or anything. Usually it's sharing something with a, a buck that, you know, another buck that I would have been targeting. Um, like that year, there was another buck that was, really nice buck that that i was hunting and um i really just focus on them i don't really think about the other bucks that much but but just taking note with the trail cam picks and uh, and then i usually you know use all that information for the the next year so um big believer in the whole uh if they're in this area at this time of year there's a very good chance they're going to be in that same exact spot the next next year same time yeah i've seen that over and over again um, that kind of stuff is what I really play off of. Yeah. Like, where did I see him? What time of year? What was he doing? And then use that for the next year and, and, you know, my, my decisions. So I can't remember. And yeah, you're just got to remind me here. So moving into 2021, 
were you, did you decide for sure, like leading into that year, like, yeah, absolutely. You were going to target him last year. Or were you even thinking about passing him last year as well? Oh man, that was, it was like 50, 50. Cause so last year he was a hundred, like 172 inch buck probably. And I'm finally to a point where I'm like, I can finally let deer go and not care. You know what I mean? Like in the past, you you just, you just want to shoot, you know? And, and I finally got to the point in my life where I'm like, I don't really need to shoot anything. I just like having them around. I like seeing them grow and I like seeing them get big. And so last year I thought, you know, with my buddy golden boy. So we thought, you know, he's probably four and we should let him go. And he's got a good chance of living because everywhere he has been and everywhere, you know, everywhere he's at has been in an area where he probably can make it through the season. He probably can make it through gun season. And so we kind of made the decision to just let him, let him go. Um, but it was still in my mind, you know, like if he walks through a 20 yards broadside and it's a 170 some inch buck, like, man, it's going to be hard to, to stay, um, disciplined with that. So that first time I went out that, that year, uh, I was, I think it was like the 22nd of October. I had a fantastic hunt, started out slow. Uh, one of those like cool mornings, sun was coming up and the deer kind of started trickling, trickling in a little late. And I saw two bucks coming through. And one was this, this mature eight pointer that, that, uh, just big bodied eight pointer, not going to be much bigger than like 130 inches ever. He's at that time, I think he was four years old. And then I see, um, big potatoes. I see him standing there with this buck and I see this eight point just bristle up and just push him off. And at that time I was like, Oh no, you didn't, you know? <laughs> Cause I was like, <laughs> okay, if this little eight pointer can push this buck off, I'm like, man, I bet you it would probably be a good idea to shoot this eight pointer if he gets, comes by me. So I, uh, this was the first sit that year and I grunted at him and he comes in, like he's got a chip on his shoulder. I mean, big body, he's all posturing and he just kind of sidestepping through it like 18 yards and I shoot him and kill him. And then that pretty much ended my season right there. Uh, so it made it easier for the rest of the year because I didn't have a yeah. tag anymore. But, but it was like, it was one of those things where I was like, I'm going to pass him, but man, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Um, but I was happy with my decision to shoot that eight pointer because I didn't, um, I kind of wanted him to feel comfortable in that area. I didn't want him being pressured by other like mature deer that maybe were smaller racked, you know, I wanted him to hang around there. I wanted him to be kind of comfortable kind of thing was my thought process, whether that is made a difference or not. I don't know, but that's kind of how that played out. Have you ever found that to, you know, in your years hunting this spot and some of the other places that you've had, you know, a decent amount of time hunting, have you ever found that to make a difference? Uh, in, in any kind of way you can notice like this isn't a huge property you don't have some monstrous farm that you know only you have access to you're hunting relatively small stuff here um you know i guess what i'm getting at is is that kind of idea trying to take out like a bully buck to keep a high potential buck in the area does that even have a chance of working on a small piece like this have you found that to be the case i don't know uh i think so yeah because um, there's usually there's usually a few bucks, but you know, I'm 
definitely privileged to live in Iowa. I work really hard to get down here and, and have the opportunities I have, but man, I mean, it doesn't get much better. But with that said, in, in my area, a vast majority of the bucks that make mature, that get to be mature bucks are not big racked. Like a lot of them, uh, there's a tremendous amount of eight pointers that probably aren't even Pope and young, you know, like there's, there's just not that many big bucks. And I talk to my buddies about it a lot. And then we always wonder, you know, you have always have these up and comers that are like, man, that's going to be a nice buck. And they just, they just disappear. They just, they don't stick around, they leave. And, um, and a lot of times the ones that stick around are these, just these big fat eight pointers, which are nice bucks, but they're not really the big, big rack bucks. So I don't know, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, burning some tags on those bucks would help kind of get some of those other deer to stick around. I don't know, but I have no idea if it, it, um, it will help in the future, but there's usually like one, one big rack buck in the area and it always seems like those eight pointers and there was this 10 pointer that was like well it was ben, <laughs> benjamin buttons right oh so boy the story of he, benjamin buttons so he was like <laughs> he he's always busted up and this year he was busted up again and um so this year he i i really do feel like he pushed um big potatoes out of out of the farm i think he kind of had the run of the place when the rut came around and he i think he was a fighter i got pictures of him last year big scar bloody scar down his back you know he's all busted up he broke all of his tines off and and this year he busted off his both his g4s and he kind of was the buck that i was seeing the most of the rut this year and um big potatoes kind of just vanished so I don't, I don't know maybe there is something to it but but um uh, further, can you really quick give us the rundown, like the honest truth of the Benjamin Buttons saga real fast so people know this buck that we're talking about? Can, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. can you share what happened here? Yeah. Okay, so this buck. Yeah, so no, not thing. you, Ross. Not you, Ross. I want Josh. Oh, Josh. <laughs> Josh. Oh, man. Josh, what <laughs> the, the, the Benjamin Buttons buck. So, so gosh, we got to go way back here. So our other buddy is out there shed hunting, or you guys are out there shed hunting one year, and you found – a side of this buck i believe right yeah or at least that you think it was that. oh and you, you guys were convinced yeah. that this deer was two and a half and by looking at the shed I, you know it's hard to tell but by the size of the antler you're probably right but man ross sends this trail camera photo following year and this thing looks like he's about to tip over of old age i mean he's all of five and a half giant rack um big fat body sway belt i mean he's like he looks like an old buck and they're trying to say these guys out in iowa are trying to pull the wool over our eyes and say it's three and a half i just, I just didn't believe him and uh, i don't think any in our kind of little group chat buddies believed him and um so I, I i can't remember who came up with the name but the story of like uh the movie of benjamin buttons where the guy gets old and he gets he's born old and he looks younger as he gets older that's that's kind of the story of this buck that um he looks super old even though uh i think he you know at the end of the story i think he actually was young last year well uh, he looks he does not look young he didn't look young last year no. i don't believe no i just have a really hard time believing he was three and a half but so let, yeah. me, let me tell the true story here yes so he was three and a half <laughs> and he was 160 inches and you guys are wrong. 
Well, I don't know, but uh, he Curious he got he got killed this year, right? Yeah, he did. So so last year he was awesome. Like he had deep splits. Uh, he had stickers off his ba- uh, bases. Um, like when you see him, you're like, oh my god, this buck is gonna be like a once in a lifetime buck if he continues to have all this trash. And he's like. And then at the time, yeah, we I thought he was three and a half. Maybe he was older, but I thought he was three and a half. And um, he was one of those bucks that was just busted all up by the end of the year. And then this year, uh, he was on the farm again, but he like got smaller. He went from like he went from 160 inches to probably a, a 130 inch ten pointer. Like uh, lost all of his lost his uh, split tines, lost his stickers. Um, and I'm 100% positive it was, and it, it's him because he has a very, um, a very specific shape, shaped rack that was the same, same head, same facial kind of like he's got that unique look to him. So it's almost like when those like six or seven year old bucks start going downhill. Hmm? Right. <laughs> oh man. No. <laughs> So we all thought you were. Nuts. It was a bad growing. It was a bad growing year. I, there's something to it. This it was like a late spring, and and uh, it just seemed like it seemed like the deer just didn't really put much antler on this year, at least around around here. And Ross, if I remember right, he was not. You guys were going to give him the pass last year, right? Like you were not going to shoot him. No, last year. Yeah, last year we weren't going to shoot him. Yeah, and we all thought you were nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, he was he no, I was like the gate the goal was like, oh man, can you imagine if this buck and Big Tatoes make it one more year, you'd have two like two Boone and Crockett bucks running around on on the same same farms. Like how often does that happen? You yeah. know? I remember you floating those pictures pictures around throughout the season last year and we we're all getting excited and dreaming about twenty twenty two and all that stuff. Um and and so that's that's what I really want to talk about now is, you know, Going into last year, you were, you know, going to try to pass these bucks. You end up seeing BP the first night or first morning, whatever that was, but you shoot the bully eight, and now you're you're basically done. So I'm curious what you did from there. But I guess bef- as I'm saying this, there's one thing we didn't cover before getting this, which is trying to get like a lay of the land. So can you describe a little bit for us, like what's this kind of area this buck's living in, like, like what kind of habitat is it? Um, what's it look like? What's the kind of stuff he was living in? That kind of thing would help us kind of, I think, envision what you'll discuss next. Yeah. So there's, um, um, in this particular farm, there's like 50% timber, 50% CRP neighboring farm has, you know, a lot of edge, a lot of, a lot of, uh, timber and CRP as well. There's, um, a very it's a very big section lots of lots of cover um a lot of native grass uh it's just a rolling hills um rocky ridges kind of really cool cool diversity in that sense and um the property that i'm hunting is kind of long and narrow hard to access um so it takes a little bit of um got to be a little careful getting in and out um access from the north and uh getting back into the timber back into the cover or where the deer are at is kind of tough in the afternoon it hunts best in the morning uh, the property kind of like purges the deer out 
into the crop fields at night and um, getting in the mornings a lot easier. You can get in and they, as they come back in, but um, yeah, it's a lot of diversity, not great access. Um, just a beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Okay. So with that picture in our mind now, we're in 2021, you shoot the big eight pointer, your, your archery tags filled. What was your game plan from that point on? Now, knowing that, you know, BP was alive as of that day, you were really, really hoping he'd make it through the year. Um, and you're thinking, man, I've got the chance for like, you know, buck of a lifetime next year if he survives. So did you start scheming, planning, doing anything that fall? Did you did you at any point think, man, I should be scouting and still watching the property? Or were you doing anything to start preparing yourself already in October or November for the next year? I just uh, mainly kept running cameras was the main thing. I had a lot of cameras out uh, just to kind of get information for next year. Um, it's a big giant like community scrape in the in the back of the property that usually gets the most activity. You can see kind of every single buck in the area will hit it at least once. Um, and then I had cameras kind of in and around different kinds of doe bedding areas, uh, to keep track during the rut. Um, but besides that, I just, I had a great time just hunting with buddies, um, and being a part of some other hunts that were just fantastic. I just was trying to enjoy myself and cross my fingers that he made it pretty much. Um, then start really, doing more scouting and stuff till after the season. I kind of stayed out of there quite a bit. I did drive in a few times. Um, Josh was with me the one time we kind of went, went in the property and we bumped, um, we bumped him out of, out of one of the best areas there, which um, kind of put that in the memory bank. Um, other than that, kind of just staying out and, um, using the trail cam picks for the next year. So you mentioned a community scrape that you put a camera on, but can you, uh, like wh- what are your camera setups like uh, otherwise? Are, are they all on, you know, these scrapes near bedding areas and stuff like that? How many do you run? Um, g- can you give me any more details about what this kind of strategy looks like for your in-season cameras? Uh, I'll put a couple cameras on the so like some of the fields like the crop or the food sources um definitely different you know like when you're on cameras it's hard to you don't really get you don't get a lot and a lot of times they can be kind of deceiving or misleading um but i'll put cameras in and around like the food sources just get inventory and just see what deer use what what food sources and then i'll have cameras i leave back in the timber i don't really check or touch the one in that scrape, um, it's just a good one to know what the heck's going on and what's kind of around. If I have to check that one, I usually drive back. I just drive the truck all the way back in there and check it. I feel like that's probably the um, least invasive just because of all the farming and stuff that goes on. Um, and then some other cameras I'll leave kind of just kind of in and around doe bedding areas just to get an, uh, an idea of what's going on every rut. Um and where all the bucks are at uh let's see so and there's some kind of really good in and outs of the property and pinch points uh, where you can catch a lot of deer kind of in and around my i have a food plot in there um and in the back you know like i'll i'll have cameras i can check that are easy easy in and out 
sell cams and then some other cams I'll just leave up and don't bother with until after the season or, or later on. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called The Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co 
And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Okay, so you get through 2021. You're watching cameras. I remember getting every time you get a picture or check cameras and saw he was on there, you were giving us the alert that he was still alive. You were super stoked about it. Um, when you got into, well, I guess before I ask any more, Josh, is there anything else you feel like we need to cover or we should know about BP in this hunt before we get to like this year? Is there anything I'm forgetting about last year as we were talking about this with Ross and different things he was talking about? Do you feel like we have it covered? Uh, I, I think pretty, pretty well covered. One thing I'd ask you, Ross is, you know, you don't have to be too specific here, but like, you know, uh, can you talk a little bit about like neighboring pressure and kind of your overall feelings on, on getting bucks to the next age class? Have you had some pretty good success with that over the years and kind of like, what does that look like uh, in your mind and, and, uh, feeling good about letting bucks go? Um, it seems like it changes it seems like it changes every year. It used to be a tremendous amount of pressure. Uh, and then it went to pretty much no pressure. Uh, so this, this last year when we, when decided to let him go, there was not much pressure. The gun pressure was like minimal. There's a, there's a few guys that hunt, um, a neighboring property that had a pretty good chance of getting them. Uh, and that was about it. They hunted, they hunted, uh, let's see, they hunted the shotgun season and, and he was coming in and out of theirs at that time. So for some reason he kind of makes a switch. He made a switch. He did it last year and he did it this year and he, and come, come around December, he kind of moved a little bit and he starts hanging out in the neighbors and then he comes, uh, comes over to feed. So they had for a while there, I mean, my butt was puckering during shotgun season. I was not. I was not very optimistic. I thought they legitimately had a good ch- crack at them, and fortunately, um, fortunately, they had didn't have any luck. But besides them, and besides that one season there, there really was minimal pressure. Now this year was a different story, but you know, g- compared to other places and what other guys go through, I mean, we had a there's a he had a really good chance of making it last year and and it worked out so what about sheds shed hunting for this buck's antlers i I can't remember honestly if you found his antlers or not um so what did your shed hunting strategy look like and and i guess more generally what does it usually look like when you're after when there's like a, a buck like the big one you're really after do you shed hunt this property or any property more when there's a deer like that do you have a different take do you start sooner or later or, or anything different at all? I guess I'm curious about that general question and then what you specifically did with this deer, those two, three years that you knew about him. You know, my, my main goal for that, for his sheds was to find them while they were like really in good shape still. Like I didn't like my biggest fear when you get a big antler, you're trying to find that really nice shed when they, when they shed the dang squirrels, like get to them so fast if it's in the timber. Yeah. So actually that, that last year I just was, had the cameras going like the whole, you know, through January, February or whatever. And so I wanted to try to get a picture. And then as soon as I, I recognized he dropped them, then I was going to go look. And, um, he, 
he shed, I got a picture of him actually coming into the property and he had one, he was lost one side. And, and, uh, I think I had a picture of him going out that, that previous night. So I knew, okay, he's like with in a reasonable distance, he either dropped it where I'm at or, or somewhere where I can look. And, um, and then of course, right after that, I never got any pictures of him with antlers the next day. He's got like a real identifiable, like couple little tiny scars on his muzzle. And he has a, like a different look to his face. And like, so, he, I mean, when you see him, you just know it's him, whether he has the antlers or not. And so I was running those cameras like crazy. I got those pictures. And then once I knew he shed, I didn't care anything. Else. I didn't care about any other deer. I just was wanted to go look around for those antlers. And so I walked and walked and walked and walked and I couldn't, I had, had a really hard time finding them. Um, and then luckily after, I don't know, I spent, spent quite a while, put on a lot of miles and I finally found, found that antler in, in, uh, in some CRP, but usually like shed hunting, I'm just like, I run cameras like I'll, like I do for deer hunting, just trying to see where deer are at. Uh, and then also get a idea when they, when they're dropping pretty much. Do you have any guess or could you give us like an estimate, like how many days you shed hunt a year? I, I used to shed hunt a lot, a lot, a lot more. Now I'm just kind of, I don't know. I'm a lot more laid back with all this stuff. Like I used to go out all the time. Now I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'd rather just have a good time with buddies and kids and, you know, and wait for, wait for those couple weekends all together. You know what I mean? Like, I used to go all the time. I used to walk the same stuff over and over and over and over again um, every weekend. But but then having a son now and and all this other stuff makes it a little different, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it changes things. So what you're trying to say is that now you're going to start saving your properties for me and Josh to come walk? Well, you know, having a shed, having a shed palooza would be a, would be a, a blast. I, I – <laughs> I honestly, honestly, God, like I'm just getting to the point where I just, I don't, I don't care about, they're just deer, you know, and I already got so many antlers. I don't really care about them anymore. I'm getting to the point where they just need to go, you know, <laughs> Mark, he says, he says all that and he's already sent us a picture of a shed that he's found this year. Yeah. No, I, other, I, like this past week, he's already been shed hunting. It's in January. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was, that was a group effort. Peter found that one, but it was, it was a good time. <laughs> all right. So. So you checked trail cameras cameras obsessively till you saw it dropped. You worked yep. you worked the fields and the timber and, and did you have any when it came to those shed walks when you're looking for his antlers, were you like covering specific spots extra hard, or do you literally grid search this property, like cover every square inch, um, regardless of, you know, what kind of habitat it is? How like what led to finding that that antler? Uh, total grid search. Like I knew, I knew where he was at during the day. I knew where he was feeding. And then it's just like, I just broke it down, just walked everything. Um, that's not, that's usually for shed hunting. I like, I find you want to find deer and then you just want to look at everything, you know, like, um, not wasting your time on stuff. That's like, um, low odds, you know, just finding the high probability, high traffic stuff, and then just walking the crap out of it pretty much is what I do. Yep. Okay. Makes sense. So then that leads me to, you know, 
you kind of, you said something right there that's interesting, which is like you knew where he was at during the day, you knew where he was feeding, you know, you, you kind of had a lot of his pattern dialed in. So now it's 2022, you find his antler and you, you're saying you know all this stuff. So like, what did you know? Can you describe for me what you had learned by that point, having, you know, observed him and studied him for two years now, like keeping tabs on him, him being like a high priority deer. You have two years worth of camera photos. You have two years worth of observations. You have two years worth of shed hunting for him and scouting your property and all that kind of stuff. Leading into the 2022 hunting season, if if you and I were like sitting, you know, drinking a beer at the table, and I said, all right, man, tell me everything you think you know about this deer. Like show me on a map. Um, what do you what do you know about him during the season? What do you think he's doing? And how do you think you're going to kill him? What would you have told me before the season as far as, you know, your plan for that stuff and what you knew? Um, so it vast, it vastly changed. Like what he was doing this year was completely different than last year. But what I thought I knew is what I, I thought he was going to be a homebody. I didn't think he was going anywhere. Um, I pretty much just from running cameras and seeing him, I knew about as far West as he went. Cause my buddy, like he never got, has never gotten a picture of him except for in summer. Um, he has like a really defined home range going to the, to the West. And then I knew exactly where he goes to the East. Um, and he's spending so much time where I was at that. I mean, I thought it was, was a done deal as long as I was patient and waited for the right, right opportunity to go hunt him. Uh, I, I was confident he was going to be, he was going to be in my food plot and the first week of October uh, I think I would have told you, Mark, I would have been like, you know, if I get a cold front that first week of October and I get the right wind, I'll have a really good crack at him. And then, um, if I didn't get him that early October towards the, uh, late, latter part of October, I knew, I knew I probably would get a second opportunity, uh, before he goes rutting, which that's always, you know, that's always hit or miss. That's all it gets a lot of luck involved when he when it gets to the rut, but but I thought I thought I knew enough about him where Mark, I bet you I I could have bet money I was going to kill him in the beginning of October, um, and I almost did. So was that based off of historical pattern, like what he did the year prior or year before that? Yeah, yeah, just you know what I see, what I've seen, and then also cameras. So uh, let's see, last year, last year he was in my plot, but that beginning of October. First time he shows up, daylight. I think it was like, um, it was the first or second, and he was there for that first week, and then he kind of changed it up again, and then he'd be there, he'd be there in the in the middle of the night here and there throughout the middle of October, no daylight stuff, um, and then it, he'd turn on again towards the end of, end of October that last week. So speaking of that food plot, then. What was the habitat stuff you've done? You mentioned you planned a food plot. I know you've done some other stuff there too. Um, what so, what did that? What what work have you done here on this property? So the so the access is terrible. So like one of the main goals is to be able to hunt up front more and not have to go deep into the the woods. That way I can I can uh, hunt more with better access and not you know kind of be a little more undetected and then. Um, it'll hunt a little bigger too, but towards the front, 
there's a cedar thicket. There's uh, some good cover. There's some good dobine there, and there's some like kind of way that wasted land. You know, a lot of the rome grass and all that stuff. And and so I don't know. It was uh, six years ago. I started uh, I started an orchard there, and then in the last or this year was the first year I got quite a few apples, and then I also put in maybe like a third acre of radishes. Um, put in some oats, rye, radishes, winter peas, um, and then have some clover. And then that's my main, main hunting kind of for evening October sets. Early October mainly. Okay. So you've got this high level of confidence that if you've got the right conditions, you'll kill them on the food early in October. If not that, he'll be in there late October you have cameras scattered around the property on scrapes and some different little pinch points and things. Um, you have some, some of those are standard cameras. Some of those are cell. You've got these historical patterns. You've got the habitat. Um, you know, any, uh, you know, what was, what was going on in your mind leading into opening day and season opens October 1st, where you're at, were you, you know, September 30th, where you like, I'm hunting tomorrow. I'm going to kill him. Or, you know, what was it looking like when those early October days were showing up on the forecast and you're sitting there thinking about whether or not you can, you can do this the way you wanted to, what did that strategy end up looking like? So I think it was the end of September, it was September 28th. He showed up on the plot and I'm like, Oh, perfect. Like perfect timing, you know? And then, uh, we got, you look at the forecast and we had, I think maybe you guys got it over in Michigan too, but we had an awesome cold front at the beginning of October and what we got plagued with east winds. Yeah. And I swear to God, those, those east winds were like, I don't know if they were like seven days straight and it wasn't like there was no variability. It was the same crap over and over and over again. And I unfortunately wasn't able to hunt that spot that first weekend because I just cannot make an east wind work there. I could have run and gun and picked a tree and, and tried to make it work but just having so many does around coming in there i just felt like i would have like it was too big of a gamble and i decided to i decided to wait and um of course then later that night i get you know like eight, i have my cell cam set up to send me pictures at like eight o'clock at night or whatever and then i'm sitting there after i didn't hunt and here he is walking right right into the plot at um, uh, daylight <laughs> and I'm like, dang it. I just knew Like I knew he was going to be there and I could have probably taken a crack and, and tried to hang and hunt um, to make that East wind work. But man, there's so many does coming would have been coming from directly kind of downwind that just one would have just blew it up. So I just, I mean, I had to, I had to live with that decision, but man, that was kind of hard not hunting that cold front on that spot. So he showed up, uh, and then, then looking at the forecast, I think that next week, that next, next weekend when I would have been able to hunt, um, it was another kind of a cold front. I think it was going to be in the fifties again, which was pretty good for October if I remember right. And, uh, I had one of those, I had one of those, like, I mean, I was so confident. I, my heart was like racing while I was sitting in that stand. I think it was like, like the seventh 
October 7th. And I remember I was sitting in the stand. I got this awesome cedar that I have stand hung up in. I can hunt pretty much any westerly wind. Um, and then most of the deer are going to come from my, my south and then straight, uh, straight from the west. And I remember getting up in that stand. And it was kind of one of these days. I lost, I, a really good friend of mine, you probably could call him a mentor passed away um that week several days before and it was like a whirlwind of like emotions like everything you could possibly feel you felt it was just a horrible few days and i was just like man i cannot wait to get in that tree and i was like not to kill that deer but just to like sit there you know and just like not think or just to think think about everything that happened the last few days but when i got up in that tree i was so confident i was i don't know do you ever whenever you like visualize your hunt or whenever you go in to sit in a spot do you ever get like you ever get like your heart going like can you can you raise your heart rate and all that stuff mark at all are you able to do that when you visualize stuff yeah yeah and like i know those days like i love that feeling when you have like that absolute kill set where you go in with sky high confidence and like you're not just going in for a hunt you're going in like knowing that everything is right and and those are the i mean those are my absolute favorite hunts <laughs> i love that I mean, feeling i mean i was i was so pumped i finally had a time to just go decompress after everything that happened but i mean i felt so confident it felt it felt like that buck was like walking in like that's the feeling i felt like i was so um I don't know. I'm, I was, I was going to manifest that stuff. I yeah. was like, man, this is going to, it's going to happen. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be like a tribute buck. Um, it's going to be fantastic. And I remember sitting there conditions were perfect. Um, and all of a sudden I'm just sitting there, it's quiet and just like beautiful out and pow, right behind me. I jump, you know, like, like, Oh my gosh, that was so close. Uh, <laughs> You're like, holy, that was unbelievably close. Like it just caught me off guard. I jumped out of of my seat and uh, I'm looking around, you know, and you're like ducking your head like what in the world? (laughs) And uh, so the neighbor was actually target shooting. I didn't even hear him drive in surprisingly. And he was probably like, I don't know, he's probably like 150 yards, 100 100 yards behind me and he just – um, started target shooting right there. I'm like, oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. I remember this now. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is horrible luck. But I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't mad. I wasn't like disappointed. I was just kind of laughed at it. Like, you could just like, what the heck? Like all this, all these places to shoot and you chose to come back here and shoot, you know? And, uh, so I, I, then at that point I was like, well, you know, I know deer are going to come out still, you know, and they hear gunshots all the time. Cause all the, everybody at all these farms are always shooting guns, you know, but dang, that was too close to the food. I'm like, there's no way he's going to come out tonight. And, uh, I'm like, I just got to get out of here. So I just bailed. So my first hunt, I didn't really even do anything. I just sat up in the tree, got my heart rate up, by just thinking about the hunt and then, the, and then, then I got it blown out. But the awesome part is that night then I got a picture um, of big potatoes on the camera there. So I'm like, awesome. He he probably wasn't very close. He's still comfortable coming in. He didn't come in that night. 
um, we're still good. Didn't get burned up or anything like that. Um, so then I'm like, you know what? I'm going in the next day. So I tried it the next day, uh, one last time. And, uh, I saw two, two really awesome three-year-olds. I had a fantastic, fantastic hunt, but he just, he just, uh, he just didn't show. Um, so two days in a row, two days in a row, October 7th and 8th. Um, and one of the things I feel like I always think about when hunting like a spot like this, a relatively small property when you're after one deer is, is this like worry of like blowing them out of the area. Cause he's the only deer you're really after. And so if you screw it up, you know, then you're really in trouble. So I'm always, you know, me, you've heard me talk about this. I'm, I'm pretty paranoid about going in ever, about hunting too much until it's like go time. So you've now hunted two days in a row in early October where you thinking, man, I'm just going to keep on hitting him every time the conditions are right. Or at this point, did you think, okay, I got to back out and wait till we get to that second period that you mentioned being late October? Like where, where's your head now? Um, I was going to burn, I was going to burn that up while it was still good. And then, uh, which I think I'm pretty sure it's hard to remember back, but I think we got a I think the whole dang month of October was east winds. I mean, it was just horrible. Like east, northeast, the absolute worst winds for hunting that. If I would have had more better conditions, I would have hunted it until until I burned it up pretty good, I think right there and then just waited till till end of October. I mean, when it's when it's hot, it's hot and I feel like you got to hunt it. Um but I think and those first two hunts were the best best hunts I had best chance I had. And then, and then I'm pretty sure after that we got plagued with more East winds, which didn't, didn't work for there. So I had to go try some other stuff is what happened. All right, Josh, what are you wondering about at this point? Anything you remember during this period of his, his texting to the group, his questions, his worries, his concerns or anything you're curious about? Yeah, I totally forgot about the whole target shooting incident at, jog my memory but that's that, that was funny um had you heard anything uh in the neighborhood about any sightings was there any uh any concern there um about what what other people were seeing them at that point um no i i know people know knew about them um i think the neighbor did there was a buck on the on one of the roads that was some you know people were seen all summer long and geez everybody in the dane county knew about it it was just insane it was like oh this is crazy and i didn't know we didn't know for sure if it was him or not but but um then in october i didn't really hear anybody talking about about him and then after after those early hunts uh no there there was kind of it was pretty quiet all right so then what 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 happened next? Walk us through the following days as you're checking the forecast and, and trying to decide, do I hunt? Do I not hunt? Um, take us through the next, uh, eventful moments. Uh, so I don't, man, I don't keep spreadsheets like you, Mark. So it's really hard to recall some of this stuff. <laughs> uh, so you gotta, so I you gotta get with I'm it, buddy. Sure. Oh, the weather in October was just like the most God awful hunting weather. I think, we've ever had besides that first first little bit of October it was if I recall it was just terrible and I I think I just was patient and um just wanted to wait wait it out until 
um, until it got it until it got a little bit better. Um, and I didn't I didn't really hunt until uh, the end of October. I think it was like the the twenty fifth. I finally tried to go back in there, and I actually went to that same food plot, and I went in in the morning. And, um, I was hoping it's kind of like in a transition area. So if he was out feeding in the, in the, the fields, uh, as a deer come back through, they'll kind of stop, they'll do a little browsing and they'll keep working their way back through is what the kind of the goal of that spot is. So it's good in the evening. It's good in the morning. So I got up in there really early that morning. I think it was the 25th. It was, a like a very light northwest wind so it was north northwest so it was it was kind of like that just off wind um kind of blew just on the other side of the fence down the fence not really where he should be coming from or deer for that matter that the fence kind of acts as like a barrier i figure i can pull that off so i got set up in there and it was kind of quiet i had a small I had a small eight point buck come through and then some does. And I don't remember what time it might've been like about eight 30. All of a sudden I heard that unmistakable clanking of antlers on branches. Like when I heard it, I was like, that's a buck making a scrape. And I had no idea what buck it was at the time. And uh, it was off in the distance. So there's like a big cedar thicket and he was in that cedar thicket scraping a tree and i see him just step out of that you know like you get some thick cedars it's kind of dark in there and he like just walks out of that cedar thicket and stands there really tall like and upright and it was just like super cool and i pull up my binos and i look at him like oh my god there he is and so he pops out and he's also all already on the south side of me so he's supposed to be coming from the north to the south but he got past he's already south of me And so these does were kind of down in this little dip in between me and him. And he walks out and he's just, you can just tell he's like, he's like super cautious and he comes out, kind of bumps the does a little bit. And when he turns and starts going down that dip, when I lose him, I'm like, oh man, he's coming. He's like, he's like, he's on his way to the food plot right now. And so at that point, I'm like kind of getting myself ready. And he walks right up to that fence that is directly south of me. And I have that wind blowing kind of down that fence, just off wind. Like it's good and it, it will if it, it stays consistent. And he walks up to the food plot. I see him stand up there. He stands there for what seems like ten minutes, you know how all those big bucks do. They they'll they can just stand like statues for a long time and just like assess everything. Before you any further. Before you go any further, sorry. But I want to get a quick look inside your mind in this moment. You've got this giant deer standing just on the edge of the plot, about to walk into a spot you can get a shot at him. You've been watching this deer for three years. You essentially passed on him the year prior as a booner. Uh, I'm assuming that's the biggest deer you've ever passed. So there's like tons of pressure and excitement and, and craziness leading to this moment. You've killed a lot of deer over your life. But I also know that you've had some 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 buck fever things over the course of your hunting life, just like me. Um, so 
how were you handling this moment of truth? Like in your mind, as this is coming together and you're realizing he's about to step into position, how, how are you feeling? Did you feel good in that moment? Were you, were you locked in? What were you telling yourself? What was, what was happening in between the years? So when he first start, stepped out, I think I had that initial like adrenaline rush, you know, and then as he started kind of, once he committed, it's like, it's really exciting. And then, it, and then it kind of calmed down. Uh, when I know when I knew he was, when he was knew he was getting closer, then I was kind of trying to get into like a mantra of, you know, like, like pick a spot, slow it down kind of thing, you know? Cause a lot of times I think I, I rush, I, I rush and just trying to keep repeating, like slow it down, pick a spot, slow it down, you know? Um, is kind of what I was trying to trying to get my head um, ready for. So trying to get that mantra going. And um, as he came out, <laughs> he like, he just tucked himself up against that fence, like tight, like it didn't, it was like, why, what is he doing? You know, but he just like, I mean, he, his side was like brushing up against that barbed wire. It's like, he was trying to get every little ounce of like, of scent out of that food plot before he committed and he stood there up tight against that fence at like 25 yards while I was kind of talking myself through it. And at this point I'm like, man, this thing I'm, I knew in my mind, I knew hundred percent I was going to get an opportunity that I was going to get a shot. And he stopped at that fence and I was telling myself, you know, like slow it down, pick a spot. And I was trying to stay calm. And then he started making a little scrape. I'm like, and that wind's just an off wind. You know, you don't want him sticking around in one spot for too long. And I was like, oh, man, just hurry up, you know. He was just taking his time, tucked up against that fence. And then I felt that, like, unmistakable little gust of wind that you can get on your face sometimes. That just makes your, like, makes your hair stand up when it happens. And I felt that, and I knew, like, instantly I knew it was over. Because there was that little tiny gust. and he was at 25 yards. I didn't have a shot at him. It was too thick through the cedar. And if he had kept on his path, I would have probably got like a 15 yard broadside shot. It would have been just perfect. But right when that wind gusted took literally like one second and he caught my wind and he just bolted out of there and just bounded out of, out of sight. So that was my first encounter with him that or this year. So now what, what, what were you feeling? Did you feel like you were screwed? Did you feel like, uh, not a huge deal. I'll get another shot later. I mean, how did that affect your morale and then your strategy? Uh, I just knew I wasn't going to be sitting there much more anytime soon is kind of what I thought. <laughs> and when I, when I sat down, I, I just kind of sat down. I was like, I kind of just laughed. I was like, Oh man, that was awesome. But oh, well, you know, there's just so many things that have to come together when you deer hunt, you know, like, if he didn't make that scrape, I would have shot him. You know, so many little things have to work out. And, um, like the absolute worst time to get a gust of wind, it didn't do that all morning. And it was just right at that moment. And, uh, I kind of just like, was like, Oh, I guess it just wasn't, wasn't meant to be. It wasn't, wasn't supposed to happen. Awesome encounter. Like it was great that I got to see him. Um, and, but then I was like, well, shoot, now what am I going to do? Um, you know, how long is a buck, how long is this buck going to avoid this area specifically? 
for this stand? Is this stand burnt up? Like, where should I try next? Where is he going to want to be next? How is he going to skirt this food plot? How is he going to scent check it? Um, that kind of stuff is kind of what I was thinking. So what'd you do? Oh, uh, then I hunted the crap out of that place bouncing around. <laughs> so for all of November, uh, I just bounced around dope. So it kind of stung a little bit cause that end of October time is like the best time in my opinion. And then once November comes, it's just like a crap shoot. And when I had him, when I had him smell me that, that, that day, it kind of, it, it sucked a little bit. It stung a little bit. Um, but then I just started bouncing around. I started hitting different kinds of, uh, different doe bedding areas, uh, focused on, you know, stand, stand sites that were based on wind and doe bedding areas. And I just never could catch up to him. I just never, I could never, I never saw him. Uh, he was around, but he just seemed like he kind of vacated. And I don't think it was because of obviously smelling me because it smells people all the time, you know, but he just seemed like he rutted somewhere else. He kind of, uh, didn't, I didn't get many pictures of him. I got a couple pictures right in the beginning of November. And then I had no pictures for two weeks, never saw him for two weeks. I think he showed up at the very north edge of the property like that middle middle of november like the 13th or something like that just one picture that where he was clearly tending a doe kind of to the north but he seemed like he just vacated the property which i mean there was so many questions like well what the heck why does why did he move like he's been he rutted here the last four years or whatever five years why uh why did he suddenly make a change that's always like those crazy questions yet you never have the answer to and i didn't know if it was because of that dang, because of Benjamin Buttons or what, but he just, he kind of just left. He kind of left. He went Northeast. I knew had a pretty good idea where he went. Um, then I went and scouted some different stuff. I went and hunted a different area to see if I, to shake it up and try to change it up. And the sign wasn't that great. I didn't get the vibe that, that, um, he was really in there. I didn't really see much. Um, it just, I think I, I think I put all my eggs in, in the basket that he was going to be there the whole November and he wasn't. So then I, I think I wasted way too many days thinking like, Oh, if I, if I just keep it going, if I just keep it going, eventually he's going to show up, you know, and he just never did. And then by the, you know, by the, but next thing you know, it's, it's like he missed out on that, that early November, which is pretty good. And then they're locked down and it just seems like kind of, I kind of, uh, didn't play November very well. If you hindsight's 2020, obviously, but in retrospect, if you were to look back on that month, knowing kind of what you know now, would you have made any big change that you think could have, could have, you know, changed your results at all for that month? Or was it kind of out of your hands just because he, he just left and he was in places you couldn't hunt? Uh, I could I could hunt a little bit where he, where he went, but it, I just, I don't know. That r- the rut is so random. I just, you know, it's it's hard. The last few years, it's been more about, like, hunting a specific buck, and it just seems like once November comes, it's like, ugh, 
it's kind of like it just sucks like if if you want to shoot a nice buck gets you excited not a specific buck then november's awesome but man when you when it's when it's a, a specific buck during november it gets it gets pretty tough and i don't know i don't really know exactly what i would do differently i think i would have probably um tried to bounce around a little bit more but but elsewhere um maybe on um, some stuff that i have permission on i tried it but but um yeah i i just being able to adapt like on the fly and know a little quicker when to change it up is what's the hardest part i think or know when to uh when to bail on what you're doing and, and make a change is kind of always hard because it seems like if you take too long then you're too late so true hey ross did you have like any point during that time period where you're after them and just did it like doubt start to creep in or did you have any other encounters with any other deer like man i should just shoot that buck this one he's not gonna show up it's not gonna happen what was kind of like your mindset no i was i was pretty much i was set on just shooting that deer there really were there's a lot of young deer around that a lot of young deer that that should be really awesome in the future and i i didn't really have my heart set on anything else there the only thing i you know that would have changed that is maybe if i was hunting some public or something this year and um i would have changed my standards there but benjamin buttons was the one that he was the one that was kind of running the show around the farm and i had him broadside several times um and he he was very visible and um besides him it was kind of a ghost it was kind of a ghost town that's why i kind of had the i kind of got the vibe that that uh maybe maybe he was actually the boss buck in that area and i also i mean there are also some dogs running running deer all november or all fall too which was pretty pretty tough i mean i could that have had an uh played a role yeah probably um they were run deer pretty regularly one time i was sitting in the stand and uh had them run through um and and yeah that could have changed it up too but besides 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 uh big potatoes like there wasn't really anything else i wanted to shoot so is gun season the next big event here then in the story is that yeah, what happens I hunt, next? Yeah, hunted and hunted and never caught up with them. Never saw them. So then gun season starts. Um, and, and you then, were a but, hot mess. Very stressed. <laughs> very worried. It was, it was very intense those first few days. You know, I was like, oh, man, you know, there's going to be some guys hunting. But, you know, what's, what are the odds? You know, somebody gets them. Not that good, right? You know, like it's not very good access. Like by the time these guys get in there, if they do their pushes or if they do their sitting, they're already blowing it up and wins out of the north and this and that but geez it was uh it was it was pretty intense the first couple of days some people were hunting next door and they just pretty much just i don't know what was going on they walked in there and the story goes that uh must have jumped them and just i don't know unloaded on them as he was running away um the rumors, the guy said, oh, it was, you know, 170, 180 inch buck and I hit him, but I, I followed blood to the fence and then he crossed the fence and then I, you know, he didn't look anymore. 
So it's like, well, so, you know, you hear that. It's like, oh, there's only one 180 inch buck that's running around. There's not two. So it was kind of like, that sucks. First off, it's like, how how do you hunt and hunt and hunt, never see the dang deer, and then somebody just walks in and then they jump them and start shoot blasting at them. That's gun hunting for you, right? <laughs> and then, of course, the deer is running away. And then who who doesn't follow up on a deer that they wound, even though they cross the fence? Yeah. Let alone a, a 180. It's kind of like, why, would, why wouldn't you actually put a little effort into this? So there was, like, no closure there for a while. Like, I don't know. Did he die? I have no idea. Do you live? Like what, what happened? So there's like, um, yeah, there was like a, lo- a lot of unknown. I actually, I know I messaged you guys. I was like, oh, he's dead. <laughs> I just wrote him off. I was like, oh, it, that's over. Um, and it wasn't like a bummer, like, oh, I didn't get him. It was more like a bummer, like, oh, no, you don't, don't get to hunt him anymore. or He's not around kind of thing, you know? O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit. All right. It comes with doctor prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver 
off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Give me a little more, like, no BS You've been you've been very optimistic. You've been very sunshine, Ross, in your description so far of how you've handled this season, Ross. <laughs> I want the real story. Like, were you were you seriously like, oh well, he's he's gone, write him off, and just like on to the next one, or were you laying in bed that night, like cussing <laughs> and your cussing things out and stressing out and all that good usual Ross stuff? I was more mad at my wife. She didn't show me any. <laughs> She didn't show me any sympathy. Like, even when I say what happened, she didn't even care. It's like she didn't even want to hear it. I was like, what the heck? You know, that stung. That hurt. That yep. hurt me deep inside right there. Like, what wife doesn't want to hear about this? And, and I need hugs right now. Uh-huh. But, uh, but she, yeah, she, she, uh, no, really, I, you know, it is what it is. That's how it goes. I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it sucks, especially when you try real, it's hard to get deer to, five or six years old it's it's tough doesn't matter where you are iowa or michigan or anywhere it's 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 tough um on small small acreages where there's a lot of pressure but i didn't i i really the passing of my friends stuff like that i mean that even like you know that that put a whole different perspective on the season like my my season was like way more you know it was I kept things in perspective a lot better. And, you know, when that when I heard that, it's just like, you know, it is what it is. And uh just kind of move on type of thing. Yeah. That's but good. I you know, I used to let that stuff bother me. I just it's not worth it. They're just deer. Yeah. Yeah, having kids definitely helps with that a lot too. Oh, for sure. Puts- I get I get so much more value out of just like um uh, hunting with like i get a awesome group of buddies down here we all like share hunts together and just have a great time together there's no selfishness or anything like that you know and uh and then you know with you guys sharing sharing stuff with you guys and it's just it's just way more fun that that like hunting camp kind of feel like getting back to that stuff is just that's where it's at yeah so where was your where where were things going after this? You you texted us. You said he's dead. We all kind of mourned for you for a while. We we uh, figured the story was over, and you we kept on getting reports like, oh yeah, there's more guys this day, or there's you hear more stories of more guys the next week, or whatever it was. So at this point, <laughs> yeah, Mark, I got to tell you. So then I got to say this too, because so he gets shot, and then there's this other buck, uh, goofy buck, 
awesome deer that I'm really hoping that can make it through. And then all of a sudden I get, I get a text from the other neighbor. He's like, I just shot, I just shot a buck. He's standing, standing down there. And I'm like, well, did you hit him? He's like, I don't know. And he's like, I'm like, well, you're going to go check. And he's like, well, I'll go check after chores. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought, I thought both my bu- both I don't I hate to say my it's not what I mean but both I thought both bucks were like done you know so then that I'll be honest then I started getting a little pouty after that so <laughs> okay. it was it's like the pressure was insane this year there it was like guys everywhere but <laughs> but like but after that um I put up some cameras so last year he kind of shifted he like i said before he shifts like in december he shifted to a different area and then he would he would bed bed on this uh one ridge and then where i can't hunt and then he would cross a different field into and then feed into a bean and cornfield and whatnot so last year he did that so then i'm like well i better put some cameras up he crosses a road so I, I lined the, the road up with some cameras to see, you know, let's see if something happens. And so you were clinging to a little hope then. I guess maybe. Yeah. You don't, you don't, you, there's so many rumors. Um, the one, one guy says he shot the, shot the buck. And then my other buddy says he saw the buck that same night. It's like, you just don't know, you know, and there was no, there's no way of knowing. So I, I put cameras up along that road to try to see if like, okay, if this, he did this last year, I'm going to see if I can get him at these fence crossing, crossing the road to come in this field to, to, to feed. And, uh, sure enough, I got a picture of that deer, just like one of those hazy, um, those pictures where they're like the, they're way in the background. You can barely see them. You got to zoom way in and you can just make them out, you know, yeah. kind of picture. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, like, I was like, oh my God, he's alive. I think I, I messaged you guys and my other buddies right away. I'm like, holy cow, I can't believe this deer is alive. Like, and how must- long, how long after yeah. that, uh, when you thought he got shot, how, how much time passed between those two things? Two weeks. Wow. Yeah. So he was gone for two weeks, no sign, no nothing. And then he showed up, uh, close to the end of shotgun season. Um, I think he showed up. It was like right before, right before those last couple days of shotgun season, he showed up crossing the road in the dark. And that's when and, I knew. And you did, did you have a tag during this gun season or no? No, no buck tag. I, so I got a late muzzle loader tag for, uh, for the gun seasons. Gotcha. So you're just sitting on the sideline watching all this happen. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking why why the heck didn't I get a shotgun tape? <laughs> Everybody else is having a they're having a great time, let me tell you. <laughs> so he's back. He's alive. You confirmed he survived. Um now it was time for, you know, retool the system, re rejigger the game plan. What was your new plan of attack? Uh what was what'd you do? So right when I got that picture, I think I don't remember too too long after that. I'm like, okay, now I got to prepare for muzzleloader. Um, so I, I went on like a scouting mission right away. I did a big loop, checked some stuff out. 
Actually, you know what? I maybe picked. Maybe I did this before I got the picture. I think I did this before I got the picture, but I did like a. Maybe there was a little bit of hope left, but I did a. I did a scout, scout about and tried to figure out. Okay, what am I going to do for muzzleloader? I knew he was coming out of there. I had a pretty good idea how he exited the timber, and then I found like pretty good setup on a terrace, and I could shoot. I could shoot this bull where he would come out and cross, and it'd be you know within a hundred. 20 yards or something like that i'm like and i found a really awesome setup and i was pretty much i i sent you that picture i don't know if you remember that picture because you were asking asking me about it and it was a it would have been that was the setup i think i was really confident in i thought if he was alive that's where i was going to get him and then when i got this picture of him I'm like okay this is this is gonna this is gonna maybe happen again and then sure sure enough right where i was gonna sit somebody put up a pop-up line right there and i was like <laughs> oh my god Did somebody else see what i was thinking like was gonna happen or you know like i was like wow they somebody else knows maybe what i what i was thinking or what i knew or whatever and yeah there was a blind right there i was like oh geez what now what am i gonna do you know so uh yeah then i still i kind of kept track of like the traffic going in there it didn't seem like anybody was hunting it so i'm like well you know what if nobody's hunting it i'm still gonna go for it um but never never really never really came about um did yeah, anything so, then did did he show up on camera anymore before we get to like that christmas time period or was he you got the ghost picture of him you found this spot you thought he'd kill him and then and then what so I think I had that picture at the road there. I don't remember. I think it was so. It was Christmas time. We got we got that awesome cold front, and you guys got that too, didn't you? Yeah, mega mega storm. Cold front came through. Lots of snow. And it was one of those, one of those like, and it was like, oh man, it's falling. It's falling, uh, falling on Christmas, and I'm like, dang it, you know, because I'm not like at that time Christmas we were going back to Wisconsin where i'm from i'm not gonna be able to hunt you know this cold front and uh a buddy of mine shot a buck during that um we had that like crazy wind deer were feeding like crazy it was it was um it was an awesome cold front oh you know what mark i just thought of something because i don't have my spreadsheet so i can't come up with this stuff um next time cool that we got that hazy picture of him crossing the road. And then, uh, the guys and I did like a loop around the property, uh, around the section, just kind of seeing what was going on. And as we came back down the road, we saw him, um, just after he crossed the road going into that field. So that was the second time and he was just standing right off the road. So that was probably like 15 minutes after dark. And that was right before Christmas. Oh, wow. I don't think I remember hearing about that one. Yeah. So that was like the, that was the last day of gun season, I think. So he pretty much walked right past that pop-up line and thank, and thankfully nobody was in it. And then he crossed the road that last 15 minutes and we saw him there. I'm like, Oh, this perfect. Like know exactly what he's doing. And he's here at a reasonable time. Like I can catch him before dark in that spot. And then, Christmas came, that cold front came, but I couldn't hunt it, which was like, oh man, 
I'm thinking I might miss out on this. So I went back to Wisconsin. And then, of course, you're sitting there. You're sitting there. I'm sitting there in Wisconsin and, and at night, you know, like 8 o'clock, I get my pictures, you know, and then all of a sudden I see, oh, my God, he showed up. And now he's he's in the property where I want him to be the whole time. He finally showed back up. And I think the I think it was the 24th and the 25th I got pictures of him. So Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And um, a couple daylight pictures. And, and none, I'm stuck in Wisconsin. Yeah, none of us <laughs> none of us understood why you didn't just hop in the truck, head to Iowa, right? and say, see yeah. a family. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was I was excited to get the pictures, but it was also like, oh man, if it was if <laughs> I was like, man, I can't wait to get back. You know, um, I think it. What did Christmas? I don't know if we came back on the 26th or whatever. Um, but we had that, we had like a blizzard come through. It was like the 50 mile an hour wind or whatever. And so we get back and I drive down the road and to hunt that first night. I think it was the 20, so it was the night of the 26th, I think. And I drive, I'm driving down. I got all this anticipation. I'm driving down the road and I was going to make a, game plan of what to do based on kind of the tracks that I saw. So I was driving real slow down the road, kind of checking for big tracks, checking for the traffic. And there were no tracks down the road at all. So where he was coming out of, he wasn't coming out of anymore. And I totally lucked out because that blizzard drifted in that whole roadside. So now where he was crossing, he, he couldn't cross anymore. It was, big giant drifts so once that blizzard came through he started switching what he was doing he wasn't coming out of that property anymore he was coming out of uh the cedar thicket um where i was at so he had to kind of change it up and so when i drove down that road i'm like okay this is going to be perfect i'm going to set up um right before christmas i pulled out like one of those wagon blinds and got it set up and i'm like that night i was going to sit on the ground tucked into a cedar in the CRP. And there's one trail that comes out of those cedars where generally late season, that's kind of how they'll exit. And I was going to sit on the ground. I was going to sit there, but it was, it was just too dang cold. I'm like, I could do it, but being still and all that stuff, man, I was like, I don't know if I can pull that off. Um, so I ended up going into that blind and I sat there and I watched probably like 40 does pile out of where he, where he had been and he no showed. So then for, then, then you go through that like little bit of moment, you know, at the end it gets dark and you're in that stupid blind and you're like, Oh my gosh, should I get out now? Like, when should I get out? Is he coming out? Like, is he <laughs> yeah. poking out of that thicket right now? Like, what do I do? And, um, uh, but I just pretty much just made a run for it, you know, as quick as I could get out of there. Um, I know I blew up a, a few deer, but, um, luckily I did not bump him. All right. So then, uh, any questions? <laughs> no, I think, I feel like we're approaching the, the climax here. So yeah. work, work yeah. me through the final, the final moments. So that cold front ended that, that Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday. I'm pretty sure. 
and um, I still had that morning off. So I was going to make one last go at it. It was like that last, I think it was maybe two below that morning or something like that. It was that last really cold morning, cold night before we got the big warm up then. And then, you know, looking at that extended forecast, I'm like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be terrible. It's going to be in the forties and it's going to be warm and just not great late season stuff. So I'm like, this is my last go at it. Um, you know, in mornings, like I actually love late season mornings. I know a lot of people don't, don't, but uh, I've had a lot of luck mornings late season and that property in particular, you can hunt, you can hunt late, you can hunt in the afternoon and you'll see a ton of does, but you won't see any bucks. But if you hunt the morning, you'll see all the bucks. There's something to it. I don't know why that property is like that. I don't know if it's the layout or what, but, um, in the past, I've had a ton of luck that first 15 minutes as they kind of come through. So I thought, okay, this is going to work. Um, I had a little bit of internal debate on where to sit. I was going to sit on the ground. If I should sit on the ground again, um, it was a south wind, so the wind was not great. It was blowing straight to the deer where they would be coming from. So I'm like, how am I going to pull this off? i got to get tucked in in this fence. I was going to go kind of brush in along the fence and get that south wind kind of like blowing as far off of the deer's traffic as possible. But it was so dang cold, and then I had to get in there so early to so I didn't bump any deer. I got there, I don't know, I got there like an hour and a half before light or whatever. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to sit in two blow for an hour and a half on the ground. And then, and then, um, also, you know, as the sun comes up and whatever, and then be still enough to to the point where I'm going to be able to pull this off. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going to the blind. Um, and I'm just going to button it up and cross my fingers that this south wind like won't, uh, won't ruin, ruin this opportunity. And so I was sitting in the blind. So hold on, de- detail this blind a little bit more. When when you say like the blind, is this like a sealed up box blind that's going to keep your wind in? Is this, you know, detail that a little bit more for me. And then also, just again, I want to make sure I understand the setup here. This is like, it's, correct me if I'm wrong here, but we're on like a, a CRP field that's in between the cedar thicket where you think you're bedded. And then there's like a a cut cornfield on the other side of it. Is that right? That they're feeding in or is it the beans over on the other side? So the, I think actually in the neighbors, they have like up by their, like their farmyard. They actually have like a lot of corn laying around and like feed and stuff like that. I think the deer actually go right up in there, um, right up into like the, the yard right there. And that's the North of me. And then to the South is the cedars. And I'm like right in between. So where I put that blind was to set me up for, um, you know, a, a reasonable, you know, like within a hundred yard shot of any deer that is going to those cedars has to come through there pretty much. And that blind's like, a, it's on an old wagon, you know, built out of pretty much scrap wood. It looks like a gingerbread house pretty much. It's nothing fancy. <laughs> and, uh, it's set up just right in between, but it's kind of sketchy because I mean, getting in there in the morning, like you are, you're risking bumping deer. But if I, I just thought if I got in that thing early enough, I could, I could maybe pull it off. And 
cool thing was I, I built that with my the friend of mine that that died too and you know I was sitting there and I was kind of going through that like those early morning um, minutes where it's dark yet and you're just kind of thinking about stuff and I was like man maybe this is where I was supposed to shoot this deer is out of this blind because I'm like we built this blind together you know I was thinking about that we spent a whole summer building that blind um and uh and he knew all about the deer you know and and that i was hunting them and stuff like that and i was like man this this is where i was supposed to shoot that deer i was like i was supposed to shoot that deer out of this blind and i i kid you not like a couple minutes after that that deer pops up over the over the hill just to the north of me and that in the beans as he, and starts coming down towards me i was like Oh my, it was like that initial, like pull up binoculars and like, Oh man, it's going to happen kind of thing. <laughs> and so he, so he, he's coming towards me and, and then of course at the same time, you know, you got does coming out and it's like, Oh man, they're right downwind of me. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. These those those are going to bust me. It's going to blow it. Cause he's coming just off wind. He'll be fine. These does are right, right right behind me but for some reason the wind currents or whatever the wind was doing it was they weren't catching me he comes up over the hill and he's heading straight for me he's gonna cross the fence but for some reason you know he turns and does a 90 degree he does a, a 90 degree turn and starts heading parallel to me and i'm like what is it? like oh and then you start freaking out you're like don't do that you know and he hits one of those drifts and so he stops and then you can tell he's kind of thinking it through and he turns around and he heads back to where he was. And then he finally finds a spot at the fence. And when he gets to that fence, I'm just, you're just waiting. I don't know. We've all been to that point where you, a deer hits the fence and you're just waiting for him to cross. And once they cross and make that commitment there, it's like, it's go time kind of thing. That feeling you get with that. He's standing right at that fence taking a while. And when he makes that commitment to jump and trots down, I'm like, it's happening. So at that time, I uh, buttoned everything up. I opened up the one window. I got a, there's like a two track from the, the UTV. Um, and there's a trail that comes up, up to that, that lane. And that's what I anticipated him coming up. So I got the gun set up right there. opened that window. Uh, and just waited pretty much. And I'm watching and watching. He comes down that hill and he goes down in this little dip and then he disappears. So at that point you're like, well, you don't know exactly what he's going to do. Is he going to change direction? Is he going to still come up this way? And it seemed like it was like 15 minutes. It was like, it seemed like an eternity. It was probably like five minutes, but it seemed, seemed like 15 minutes. And, uh, then I thought, Oh my God, he's, he's, he skirted me. He went around me uh, or maybe, maybe smelled me. I wasn't sure. Then all of a sudden, you know, you look through like CRP grass or native grass and stuff like that. You, when you see those like shadowy figures of deer coming through it, it's really cool. Um, I, I get first glimpse and I'm like, oh, doe. Okay, there's does coming. He's going to be right behind these does. And then another one, you see the shadow coming. You're looking for a rack and it's just a doe. Then a fawn. Then another doe. And I'm like, okay, this many deer coming up this trail, he's going to be right behind him. And then shortly after that, I get this other shadowy figure that you can just see the body kind of moving through those, through all the, the grass. And then you just slowly see those tines kind of just pop up out of the grass, walking up the hill and kind of doing that bounce as he's walking. 
and I was it was just like unbelievable sight. It was just so amazing. And he walked up, and at this point he's at like 38 yards, and he quick kind of did a little bump, bumped the does off a little bit, and I and uh, I uh, murped him, of course. <laughs> Got to do that, and then uh, and that's when I shot, and I just dumped him right right there and uh at like 38 yards with the muzzle loader so it was uh pretty amazing i think i would always prefer to shoot a buck the last day of or towards the end of every season you know everybody likes the hunt more the the most and uh was pretty happy that uh, the way it ended and uh probably the most meaningful buck i think i've ever shot for sure and um pretty pretty awesome tribute to my my uh friend of mine and then also just all the memories behind it it's gonna it's gonna be a pretty awesome thing to look at on the wall for the rest of my life yeah that's uh that's for sure and and we all got to even uh we tried to do a group video chat to see you walk up on him <laughs> even got the video of the recovery and all that stuff it was pretty cool to get to see it um heck of a deer what uh josh what what are your final questions on this uh on this hunt or this deer any any final things in your mind uh well it's kind of interesting like thinking about you talking about the previous year you what you had one hunt the previous year so I'm one, yeah. you know, hunted one day in 2021. And then this that had to have been probably one of your longest hunting seasons, right? I mean, you probably haven't had too many seasons. You've gone all year just grinding out like you did. Um, I guess, you know, what did you learn in that one sit and the subsequent kind of scouting that you did last year? Was there anything that, that played into how you attacked this buck late season? Um, the biggest, the biggest thing was just knowing where he was coming out of along that road and then kind of planning accordingly. I think, I think the historical stuff is what, what I learned the most that, that helped me, you know, be successful. I, I don't know. I mean, I would have hunted and maybe I would have saw him, but I don't know if I wouldn't have had those cameras in those areas to give me that confirmation, I don't know if I would have maybe made those same decisions, you know, putting those cameras in those locations based on like the historical stuff. So then to kind of piggyback off of Josh's question there, just in general then, so not necessarily what did you learn from, you know, your Intel that led to you killing him. But if you were to zoom out even further and just look at this whole multi-year saga, is there any greater lesson about hunting that you've learned from this deer? Did this deer teach you anything that's going to help you kill the next one or one 10 years from now or anything like that? Um, yeah, I think the main thing you can, now I know like the historical stuff, like I know that plays a big role, but I think you just have to always expect change or, you know, you have to always adapt, obviously. Um, I don't know how many times, you know, you prepare for a season and nothing ever works out how you imagine it. It always, it's always changing. And I think with this deer, it's kind of like, a, you know, um, 
good example of how things can change pretty quickly. I had those early opportunities and then the, and then the rut was completely different than it had been. And, um, you know, with mature deer, they, they, they kind of, they'll change, change their routine very often. And you gotta be able to do that too on the fly, um, and be on the go and not, not put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, that is the truth. Hard to do. Hard to do when you get a plan in your mind and you you think you've got them figured out and then it all, you know, the card table gets flipped over and you got to figure it all out in the moment. That is uh, that is the fun of it, I guess, every year when you have to pick them all back together and piece it, piece it in place. Um, here, here's something. I, I don't know if, I don't know if anything comes to mind, but but you've you've mentioned a few times how meaningful this whole experience was, given you know your your friend's um, involvement within it and losing him. Um, is there anything that you learned from your mentor over the years? You guys got to know each other, and I know you guys spent a lot of quality time, and 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 I think he was someone you looked up to. Did you learn anything from him that sticks with you now that when you look up on that wall and see that deer next year or 10 years from now or 20 years from now and your kids or your son comes back and you look at that deer and will you look up there and, and see your friend and think of any lessons or stories or, or, or things he told you that, that will come to mind again? Uh, yeah, I think that's an easy one. I think just uh, being generous, um, most um, generous person I've ever met. Um, I think that changed my perspective on the hunting in the last few years, you know, going from being like a solo kind of thing and like secretive and not wanting to let anybody know what, you know, about your deer or whatever, what you're hunting, uh, just embracing just like the friendships and the camaraderie and the people of it, I think is, I think he helped me change that. I went, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of awesome people out there. He was one of them. And, um, I learned so much, so much in the last, I don't know, 15 years from him. He was like a mentor. Um, and he kind of, he kind of did so much for me that like, he got me to the point where like hunting and stuff like that. I just want to be able to give back, you know, in that respect someday. Um, you know, um, I think that's a big thing. Keeping, keeping it in perspective. He never was one to carry, care about deer, you know? Um, he thought I was always stupid for <laughs> wanting to, wanting to get big, big deer antlers, you know, and that kind of stuff. But, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, he, he gave me so much. I just want to be able to give back now. I guess that's where I'm at. You know, well, that's a pretty special relationship you guys had and, and an incredible like story that it, you couldn't, you couldn't write a story more kind of spot on for, for, for a storybook ending than, than this one ending the way it did. And uh, I know me and Josh and, and all the guys have been very, very excited for it that this ended the way it did. And uh, it was an up and down roller coaster year for you. And uh, to have it end this way was pretty wild, right down in the ninth inning. And uh, somehow you you made it happen. So 
Congratulations, my friend. Thank you very much. It was it was definitely it was definitely awesome. It was a season I won't forget. Yeah. Further, any last thoughts? No, just like Mark said, happy for you, proud of you, uh, how you handled the whole situation. It was uh, it was not an easy one, um, and I think you handled it much better than maybe a Ross from five or six years ago would have handled it. So uh, <laughs> kudos to you for um, everything you've gone through this this year, and, and uh, the perspective thing is a big one and uh, something I, I need to work on too. So um, happy for it, man. Heck of a buck, heck of a season. Yeah, no. we'll have to. We'll have to get you down here, Josh, since you'll be drawing a tag and Mark won't be at some time <laughs> yeah. to get you get you on a big one down here. I, I needed know. I needed to I needed to shift my years away from the years that Josh hunts there because he he shoots the big deer before I ever get a chance at him. So I got to make sure I'm I'm just totally you know, separated by a full twelve months out there. He he kills him the second day of the hunt when he shows up. Uh. Um, now, now the end of the story here though, is that Ross, the big thing, the, the big pressure that you didn't mention here, the thing that was probably weighing on you more than anything was that with our group of buddies, whoever doesn't kill a buck during a given season is entered into buckless mania, which is, a uh, you know, a free for all cage fight the next year during our Turkey camp. And, uh, you and I managed to kill deer this past season. So we are immune from Buckless Mania, but there is one person on this phone call who has to enter <laughs> the Viper Pit. Uh, Furter, how you feeling yeah, coming to this? Yeah, man, I uh, yeah, I better start training up. I've got some stiff competition. Uh, there's a lot of us that'll be in it this year, so uh, <laughs> it's this gonna is... be a it's gonna be a big cage fight for sure. We uh, kind of we went from maybe the best season we've ever had as a group. I think we all killed last year uh, to what just three of you three of us now killing this year so less than half the group uh or more than half the group will be in buckless mania this year with me so fun times ahead at turkey camp ross if you had to put your money on who's going to survive the cage fight who's going to win it uh josh don't take this personally but uh, <laughs> it's gotta be ab andy bradley's gonna whoop everybody <laughs> He's got those Mason forearms, just huge. Yeah, Josh. Didn't, didn't <laughs> I'm probably going to run the other way. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll take whatever whatever fate comes my way. I don't, I don't think I want to deal with Andy. <laughs> He's got a bad right bad right hip. We'll just stay on that side. There you go. Good tip. Good tip. All right, guys. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this one up. Appreciate you sharing the story, Ross. I uh, I'm glad we have to do this. Thanks, buddy. And that is a wrap. Thanks all for joining me for this one. Appreciate you following along. Hope you enjoyed this one-month series of big buck stories as we try to learn from these specific deer, these very focused hunts of sorts. Uh, I certainly enjoyed the stories. Different kind of flavor for us to kick off the new year. And uh, from here, we're going to dive into a new line of thinking. Stay tuned for a month of habitat management ideas, projects, tactics and uh, and a whole lot more on that front so if you've ever wanted to improve land for deer and deer hunting and other wildlife you are going to want to stay tuned throughout the month of february we've got a lot of good stuff coming up so until then thanks for listening and stay wired to hunt outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. 
Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY.